And is the New Hampshire News Recap. We are at the Tilton Diner throughout the morning and, in fact, throughout the day. You know, voters across New Hampshire heading to the polls Tuesday to cast their ballots in the New Hampshire primary. And today, as we're broadcasting live from the Tilton Diner, we're discussing what's on Lakes Region voters' minds ahead of next week's election. I'm joined now by Adam Drapshow, reporter for the Laconia Daily Sun. Good morning, Adam. Thanks for, for joining us. I'm pleased to be here. Thank you. First time on the recap. And NHPR's senior political reporter, Josh Rogers. Good morning, Josh. Good morning, Rick. Let's uh, get right into what voters are talking about. NHPR reporters and producers have been out in the field talking with voters over the past several months, and the same issues were top of mind for many. Let's listen in. primary issue is always going to be, number one, the economy. The economy as a whole, I think if you look at the affordability of what's out there, the cost of groceries is insane. The economy mainly. A lot of people struggling right now. So that's like the most important thing to me. The economy. <laughs> yeah, uh, just the price of everything. Inflation. Adam, you heard it there, that word economy. What have, what have you been hearing from voters in the Lakes region? Very much the same thing. Uh, in addition to that, that's been layered on top of a really uh, stark rise in housing costs in the Lakes region. So those two uh, really combine together. Would you say that's the, the single biggest item, the single most uh, talked about item, housing and, and affordability? Absolutely. In November, I went to a polling place in Laconia for our municipal election, and I was really taken aback that every single voter that I spoke to said that housing, homelessness, some combination thereof was at the top of their mind when they went in to vote, cast their vote. What are some of the things that are contributing to, to that lack of affordable housing and, and high cost of living here in the lakes? We're really seeing multiple trends combining here. There's a decades-long trend of land use regulations that have have really put pressure on developers to, to focus more on the higher end. Uh, on top of that, we've seen more recent trends of the rise of short-term rentals, uh, reducing the supply of, of housing in general. And then on top of that, since the pandemic, we've had a wave of new home buyers come into the region who are relocating from uh, larger metro areas who suddenly find that they can do their job remotely and would like to do so in New Hampshire. Sure, it's just, a, a, you know, the, the classic example of low supply and, and high demand. You got it. Yeah. Josh, how are, how are candidates talking about the economy and the cost of living issues on the campaign trail? I mean, it depends which candidate you're talking about. Um, former President Trump probably makes the most sweeping promises about how things would change if he were back in the White House talking about, you know, dramatic drops in energy costs. Uh, he often mentions New Hampshire's notoriously high electric rates when he um, campaigns. Um, and, you know, a lot of that is, is the, the, the details on how to, to achieve those goals are, are, are sort of left unstated. But, you know, a lot of it is to bumping up energy production is something that you hear from a lot of the Republicans, um, you know, Nikki Haley will talk about tax benefits for the middle class, and then she wants to make those more permanent than um, than has been the case. But you know, what she cites is like, I want to do something for the middle class. I will cut the gas tax, which you know probably wouldn't have a massive effect on everybody's day to day life. But um, you know, certainly candidates are cognizant of economic pressures that that people face. And, and to Adam's point, housing is something that you really hear from any voter you talk to, and some candidates recognize that. That's just a tough tough problem to solve quickly. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, how are voters reacting to that when they hear this, uh, this on the campaign trail? I mean, are, the, are, are candidates, you know, tailoring those messages to New Hampshire voters specifically, or are they just talking about it in generalities? I mean, I haven't been to other states, so I don't know. I mean, I think there's a there's a generic aspect to it. Um, you know, a lot of it is is, is 
you know, for Republicans and those who are, you know, those are most of the candidates here, it's, it's about saying I will be more aggressive in sort of unshackling um, things, uh, deregulation, and that that will uh, create more prosperity is, is sort of the bottom line argument there. But it's definitely something that voters, it's on their minds whether or not it informs the choices they make on Tuesday, um, maybe another thing. though. Yeah. What are some of the other concerns you're hearing from from people? Uh, you know, foreign policy comes up a lot in New Hampshire. You know, obviously there are wars and potential wars, uh, you know, uh, afoot in the world. Um, and, you know, that's an interesting issue because there is a split in the Republican Party a bit, particularly between, you know, the, the frontrunners in New Hampshire. I mean, Donald Trump's far and away the frontrunner. But, you know, Nikki Haley, who while the, the his U.N. ambassador... Um, you know, she's making a case for sort of more traditional engagement around the world, support of Ukraine, um, you know, standing on, on um, standing with allies that, that may be threatened, be it Taiwan uh, and China, or, and certainly all of them are very staunch, the Republican candidates, and, and the, the Democrats too, and the need for the United States to, to support Israel. Um, so, you know, certainly foreign policy comes up a lot, and, you know, the border um, remains a potent issue for Republicans. It comes up at every event. Like certainly there's uh, it's a vulnerability for, for the for the Biden administration and that's something you hear about a lot. Education also comes up, uh, you know, the notion of the roles of schools, uh, the quality of education, also the content of it and the, the role of parents. Obviously we see those same debates mm-hmm. playing out here in New Hampshire. Adam, do you hear about that from voters as well? Those uh, issues, education and, and uh, obviously the local nature, but also talking about immigration policy, uh, borders, and so on? We do see though, that concern uh, reflected in letters to the editor and from uh, in voter conversations. It seems to be less uh, significant to local voters as to the more local issues, though. Yeah. Now, we've heard from voters who are concerned about polarization and extremist rhetoric. Um, statewide, there's been an increase in reported acts of hate and extremism, and that includes here in the Lakes region. Adam, I wanted to ask you about this. C- can you share some of the, your reporting on, on recent incidents? Yeah, this has been one of the more troubling uh, storylines that we've been following. There have been several incidents of, uh, of hateful graffiti discovered in the Laconia area, and it's not just uh, idle symbols or slogans spray-painted somewhere. There are often... Um, or there has been uh, individuals targeted uh, with that, along along with those uh, those uh, bits of graffiti, and there are, it has also been um, acted at the uh, New Hampshire uh, or at the local Democratic uh, Party office. Uh, in addition to that, there's also been um, threats made to the local synagogue, and. On top of that, there has been a, um, a business in Franklin that has been targeted directly by uh, what seems to be an online um, group of white nationalists. That business owner has also uh, sued the city over what she considers to be an inadequate response by the local police department. Now, what are law enforcement? Uh, what's, what's law enforcement doing to address these incidents in general? That's a challenging problem for them. Uh, without much evidence to go on, um, it's, they have pledged to do their best to um, to figure out who's behind all this, and yet the, there's not much for them to go on at this point. They're really relying on uh, someone to come forward and point a finger. Um, the community has also held uh, vigils. There have been forums about um, just trying to state that this is not representative of the community at large. Um, but it's still been very troubling. The local um, sentiment is this is just not who we are. And yet these um, incidents keep popping up. Yeah. 
Let's talk about how extremism is affecting the primary. Um, Josh, candidates like former President Donald Trump and Governor Ron DeSantis have been accused of using extremist rhetoric before. How is that shaping the race? Well, I mean, you could argue that, that Trumpism is, um, you know, is, is sort of explicitly full of statements that is that would be considered extreme, you know, pre-Donald Trump, you know, questioning the integrity of elections, um, you know, talking about uh, violent acts against political opponents. Um, you know, in Ron DeSantis, you, you can hear certainly, you could call it a, a rhetoric of cruelty about things like, I'm going to shoot people stone cold dead at the border. Um, we're going to start slitting throats to the federal bureaucracy on day one under my administration. I mean, you know, his, his supporters would say those are just sort of uh, turns of phrase uh, and, and, and sim symbolizing just an attitude and not necessarily violence itself. Certainly it wasn't part of mainstream American politics before. No, and certainly you don't you you don't hear those sorts of things from Nikki Haley, who is trying to sort of cast herself as somebody who can sort of you know turn down um, the rhetoric a bit. But it, it is interesting, and, and certainly um, you know some of the things that you hear from from voters. There is a you know there's we've had you know years of, of Trump saying extreme things, and you know it seeps into the it seeps into what you hear from voters as well. Sure. Well, how are voters responding to Haley's messaging in particular? Is she standing apart from from those other candidates by by that messaging and her voters? Responding? Well, some, I mean, some voters will tell you they like that her return to what, you know, you might call a more normal um, politics uh, within the Republican Party. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, we'll see on Tuesday how they really respond. And, 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 you know, there is clear that the polling and anecdotally, you could say that Republican voters, by and large, remain comfortable with Donald Trump and all that that means. And, um, you know. That's that's the reality of it. Yeah, it does seem when we talk to voters um, that our you know Donald Trump supporters are Donald Trump supporters, and they're not going to be swayed one way or another. I'm wondering how much of the electorate in New Hampshire really is up up in, uh, in play here. Well, you know, we'll, we'll see Tuesday. I mean, that's a big question. I mean, the the the, the you know what what his rivals were hoping is that there would ultimately be some kind of. I don't know, autoimmune response, gag reflex, that there would be a rejection of Trumpism that had, had sort of gone too far. But there, there does not seem to be that discomfort. I spent last weekend at the state Republican meeting where I talked to lots of voters who are Republicans who are deeply engaged in the primary. And, and there were plenty of people who don't, who aren't going to be voting for Trump there. But there is very little discomfort when, you know, it, it, you know, if your chosen candidate doesn't end up being the nominee, you're totally with Trump. Yes, we're all going to unite behind Donald Trump. And yeah. so I think that that has been the challenge for his opponents and, and how to navigate that challenge. Obviously, Chris Christie didn't work very well when he went right at Trump. You know, there's a sense with DeSantis and Haley that, you know, it's been kind of playing for second place mm -hmm. and, and or hoping that Trump, there's an implosion that would allow them to, uh, you know, it's been a mystery for them to how to effectively um, how to effectively compete with him. And, and we'll see what happens here Tuesday. But it, on paper, New Hampshire is a state where, you know, Trump potentially could be most vulnerable due to the nature of our sure. electorate. Yeah. Adam, what are you hearing from voters uh, as far as that's concerned? The, the rhetoric, the, 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 the talk between the candidates, is Nikki Haley's messaging getting through at all? It's getting through to some, that's for sure. She's had um, some energy in the Lakes region. It's also interesting to see since a couple of candidates have dropped out since the Iowa caucus that uh, where those voters will go mm -hmm. yeah. if, if they'll go to Nikki or if they'll stay home or if they'll uh, vote for Trump. So as we enter the final few days before the primary, Adam, what, what are you watching for? We are planning to uh, spend primary day uh, visiting the, as many local polling places as we can. 
talking to voters and seeing what's on their minds. Yeah. How about you, Josh? What are you watching for? Well, I mean, I'll just be going out to see political events, uh, talk to voters. I like to talk to them, the ones who are at the events. I also like to talk to folks who aren't at the events to find out what's on their mind. I mean, one thing we haven't touched on is there's also, you know, a lot of people are just worried about the specter of a rematch between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And so, you know, we'll see if if New Hampshire's result Tuesday, you know, makes that more likely or not. But, yeah. uh, you know, how many people show up is going to be a big thing. I mean, that sounds like an idiotically about- reductive thing to observe <laughs> of, of an election. But it is true that sure. you know, the higher the turnout, the more likely that um a non-Trump candidate could come up with a good result. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Adam Drabshow is a senior reporter for the Laconia Daily Sun. Josh Rogers is NHPR's senior political reporter. Thank you both. Thank You're you. welcome, Rick. It's Morning Edition from NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley. And we're live at the Tilton Diner here in Tilton, New Hampshire today. I'm sure you can hear. We're looking at issues affecting Lakes Region voters ahead of the primary. And I'm joined now by Anna Brown, the Director of Research and Analysis at Citizens Count. Good morning, Anna. Morning, Rick. Thank you for coming in. And of course, NHPR's senior political reporter, Josh Rogers, joins us once again. Good, Good morning, to see Josh. you, Rick. Good to see you, Josh. We, uh, uh, we want to start with the Democratic side here. President Joe Biden is not appearing on the primary ballot following the DNC's decision to move South Carolina first on the nominating calendar. Anna, just how different is this primary for New Hampshire Democrats and, and left-leaning independents? Well, it's funny. You actually spoke earlier this week, I think, about the Lyndon Johnson primary in 1968. It was a write-in campaign. He did win, but it was such a small margin that it ultimately pushed him out. So this is not unprecedented in history. But what I do think is completely different is the mixed messages voters are getting from national and local Democrats. Local Democrats are saying write-in Biden. National Democrats are sending a letter that literally said the primary is meaningless. Educate voters not to show up. So that conflict is definitely a new one. Yeah, I was was surprised surprised by the language from the DNC. It was it was very strong. They were saying that presidential candidates shouldn't participate and voters shouldn't participate either. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, it's a, a pretty stunning message, really. Um, I mean, meanwhile, there are been Biden cabinet officials visiting New Hampshire. Right. Um, you know, the timing doesn't seem coincidental that it's around the primary. So it, it's, it's mixed messages yeah. for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Now, NHPR producers and reporters have been out talking to voters here in the Lakes region. Uh, here's Susan Laflamme. I want to play this tape from Moultonboro. She's talking about what's top of mind for her as we head into election day. It really is anti-Trump. Um, and so anything that Trump is talking about, I, I'm against. Anna, how much of Biden's strategy is not being Trump? Well, to be fair, polls show that a lot of Democratic and moderate voters identify threats to democracy, particularly Donald Trump, as their number one issue. So in some ways, his campaign is responding to that. But I think it's also fair to note he does have, as you noted, several surrogates that are coming to the state talking about his infrastructure bill, for example. But I think if you talk to voters on the street, they're not going to be excited about bridge money. You know, they really are more about those issues like abortion and not Trump. Yeah. Josh, Republican candidates have still backed New Hampshire's first in the nation status. Uh, Has that kept some normalcy on the Republican side? I mean, yes and no. I mean, it is odd in that in the former president, Trump, we have functionally an incumbent uh, running. I mean, that's that's the tenor of the campaign. And, and certainly there are other Republicans who have been in and, you know, the field is really winnowed down to, to Nikki Haley and, and Ron DeSantis at this point. You know, they've campaigned here. I mean, Haley's done many events here stretching back for months. I mean, DeSantis was more focused on Iowa, um, has campaigned less here. But, you know, it is not, in terms of sort of what we consider sort of authentic, 
authentic interactions between voters and candidates. There have been less of these. I mean, that is the nature of modern campaigning when, you know, campaigns can hit people through social media channels. I mean, but as a reporter, for instance, you know, there will be no New Hampshire debate on the GOP side in the week between Iowa and New Hampshire. Um, you know, as a, as a reporter, you have to RSVP to these events. And sometimes you're not let in. The idea of, like, falling by, like, a Nikki Haley event without RSVPing, the campaign may not let you in the door. So, you know, it, it is less the New Hampshire primary style that, you know, we tell ourselves is what makes it important. But, you know, there's been campaigning going on, and, and it's certainly more normal on the Republican side than the Democratic side. But that's not saying much. One New Hampshire voter that we heard from, Eric Olson from Auburn, says he plans to vote in the Republican primary. Here's what he had to, to say about this primary season. That some candidates are engage, engaging in debates and not engaging in debates uh, seems to change the tenor of the entire primary. That it doesn't feel like it's everyone, every candidate's voice that's there. And I feel like in New Hampshire, we want to hear the debates in a civil way. Yeah, that, and that speaks to your point, Josh, is that typically we like to think of the New Hampshire primary as being very participatory. And... That means candidates on the ground, and that means candidates debating, and we don't we don't really have that on on either side at this point. No, I mean certainly people interested voters can hit candidate events, but it is not uh, you know if you just look at if you just look at, if yeah. you just look at the sheer sort of census of candidate events, the nature of these events they are not typically you know freewheeling, open, ask me whatever you want kind of things from the candidates. It's just not simply how candidates act these days. Yeah. You know, Anna, traditionally, the New Hampshire primary scene is that opportunity for voters to, to learn about how a candidate approaches local issues. Um, but as Josh pointed out, CNN, ABC, they've canceled their debates after Donald Trump and Nikki Haley just declined to join. Do candidates even need to campaign here anymore to secure a nomination? Frankly, I think Donald Trump proved back in 2016 that you can win a nomination with just a few big rallies and more curated messages on social media. I, to me, this is not something that happened all of a sudden this season. It's been happening for a while, and it's partly because of social media and the nationalization of the New Hampshire primary in general. But, you know, Nikki Haley, I think, is trying to break that mold a little bit, Ron DeSantis a little bit on and off, looking for that word-of-mouth hype. But it does open you up to more awkward questions and opportunities for gaffes. Mm -hmm. Now, uh we were talking about Nikki Haley there. Nikki Haley is is banking on a strong showing in New Hampshire on Tuesday. Josh, how is she distinguishing herself from Donald Trump? Well, he, she did serve uh, as Trump's U.N. ambassador, but she's making the point that she's of, of different temperament, of different age. She makes a generational argument as a key component of her of her thrust, and it you know is both against Trump and against President Biden. You know, certainly gender um, is a, is a difference. Um, you know, on issues. Uh, you know, she talks about how she's grounded in the realities of American life. She takes care of her parents. They live at the, they live at the house where she lives. Uh, she talks about her children. You know, sons graduating from college. Her daughter struggles to afford a house to buy. Um, and then she so she's more grounded. There, there are also differences in terms of foreign policy. She certainly talked about the need for the United States to be engaged, you know, in support of Ukraine, um, you know, vigilant with China in terms of Taiwan and, and you know, full-throated support for Israel uh, against Hamas and, you know, sort of a more traditional, muscular version of diplomacy than, you know, sort of Trumpist, you know, sort of America first, transactional, uh, kind of cozying up to strongmen in other countries. That's a, that's a, that's a difference that she's, she's teasing out to. Do you feel like that message is resonating when you talk to voters and people 
people are listening to that? Well, it's something that people bring up, and there has been some polling uh, earlier this in the fall, late fall that indicated that foreign policy was, in fact, the second uh, highest concern for New Hampshire voters, Republican voters in the primary. That was in the wake of, of Hamas' attack on Israel, which could have informed that. But, you know, certainly voters, uh, a lot of voters who are turning out to non-Trump events they want something different than what he's providing. And, you know, a lot of them will say they want a more traditional version of a, of a Republican president that's like, you know, focused on sort of commerce issues, but also strong military. You do hear that. And a lot of those voters say they are interested in Nikki Haley on that front. Anna, what are some of the policy issues that have stood out to you during this primary season that the campaigns have been addressing or, or maybe avoiding? I think it's interesting that Ron DeSantis has really put a lot of his campaign on COVID-19 issues, and it seems to have really not resonated. I guess we all kind of just want to move on from that. But I think if we, I thought about this primary a year ago, I would have thought COVID-19 would have been much more of a conversation. And it's really not, because also I think that Donald Trump's voters, you know, there was some backlash of him supporting vaccines, for example. That just seems to have completely gone away. And then I just have to throw in there, my political science nerd is always a little annoyed. No one is talking about how dysfunctional Congress is. All these presidential candidates are talking about, these are these changes I'm going to make to Social Security or cuts I'm going to make to the budget. Good making that happen with Congress. I mean, you don't rule by royal decree or anyway, I would hope that we stay a democracy where you don't just decide what you're going to do as president. And that seems to be a really huge thing that no one is talking about. I mean, I will say an easy, an easy applause line for any candidate. And most candidates are making this case is uh, they make a case for term limits. And that tends to, you know, attract the the support of any crowd for any candidate. Which requires a constitutional amendment, of course. So then that's even more (laughs) of a barrier. Yeah. I mean, the likelihood of this happening. So the candidates are not talking about working with Congress, working with the Senate. Not at they're all. Not, they're that, just, not that I've heard anyway. Yeah. yeah. But voters don't express any kind of uh, regrets about that? Are they well, asking certainly for them? like a dyspepsia about the general dysfunction of our government is something that, you know, how to fix it's another matter. I mean, certainly, um, you know, there's there's a, there's a sort of throw the bums out mo out there in terms of in terms of voters, um, you know, and certainly Donald Trump makes tall promises about like what he will do when he gets in there, mm-hmm. and you know a lot of his supporters will say we well, you know he delivered on all his promises in his first term, which is obviously not true, um, and you know. It, 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 there's not much yeah. optimism. I mean, one thing that strikes me is the despair that a lot of voters have about just their choices in general, not simply in this primary, but the specter of a general election where it's a rematch between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. That comes through yeah. in a very pronounced way if you spend time talking to voters at political events and also away from them. We've heard from many voters over the past few months who say they'd like to see less drama and, you know, they want to hear more about policy from candidates. I want to play this tape for you. Here's Brian Pease of Tilton who told me he likes Donald Trump's economic policies, but he's tired of, of, the, of, of his rhetoric. The bickering uh, between all the politicians and like that, maybe we've had enough of it and uh, it's time to look at a candidate maybe can work both sides of the aisle. And I want to bring in the voice, too, of another New Hampshire voter. This is Doria Bramante. I'm fatigued by political spin. I'm fatigued by the conversation of mainstream media. I'm fatigued by people bickering, fighting. This is my opinion. That's your opinion. The polarization, it's, it's, it's worn thin on me. And so now I'm just really seeking water in the desert of another a refreshing way forward that feels a little bit more like peace. 
Good I'm luck with it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's no. tough out there. Seeking water in the desert. That was that was very poetic. Josh, is, is that the kind of mood that you were referring to? Well, yes. I mean, it is. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of citizens ask rightfully, why can't government function? I mean, we're in a situation where you know we're passing temporary spending bills, and and the, those things are even in risk. And you know, we have a climbing, you know, national debt and deficit, and um, you know, it's hard for a lot of voters to look to the future and be optimistic, regardless of what. Candidate X might be telling you from the podium. Anna, you know, we're heading to this final stretch before Tuesday. What are you keeping an eye on in these these final days? Well, I think that ultimately Tuesday is going to come down to voter turnout. Which constituencies between hardcore conservatives, moderate conservatives, are progressives going to write and vote or not? It's who really gets off the couch and goes to the polls. That's what's going to make the difference. So I'm looking at which of the candidates are generating excitement. And I think really a lot of the attention is on Nikki Haley now because she does seem like the candidate that's most likely to move either up or down. And so it can she can generate excitement while still threading that needle where she's not trying to alienate Trump voters, but she's trying to attract the moderates. I mean, I'm not a campaign strategist, but I, I think that she needs to maybe take a few risks and try to get some more headlines or else I think it's just going to be more about Trump having that clearer message steamrolling everyone. Mm -hmm. How about you, Josh? What are you watching for as we head into this final stretch? Well, I agree with Anna that um, the turnout and certainly for Nikki Haley to make this competitive, there has to be a large turnout of non-traditional Republican primary voters, um, you know, independents who may be voting against Trump as much as for her. And, um, you know, it's it's hard to win a Republican primary when you're relying on support from outside the core of your party and with Trump's grip on the base of the Republican Party that poll after poll shows, it just makes it very difficult to do this. Anna Brown is the director of research and analysis and the executive director at Citizens Count and NHPR's Josh Rogers joined us too, NHPR's senior political reporter. Thank you both so much for the time today. Absolutely. Happy Friday. You're welcome, Rick. You can find more of their work and NHPR's election coverage at nhpr.org slash elections and citizenscount.org, by the way. I'm Rick Ganley. This is Morning Edition, along with producer Jackie Harris. Thanks so much for joining us in Morning Edition today.